Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. All of us here in the Magic Kingdom are glad to have you with us on this special day. Ask for your safety and those around you that you walk slowly and carefully to your first destination. Have a great day and welcome to the W Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 280 for the week of June 24th, 2012. We're going to turn back the clock this week and visit Walt Disney World on opening day, October 1st, 1971. With a renewed sense of nostalgia in the Disney parks and among Disney enthusiasts, we're going to look back at the extinct attractions we wish were still in Walt Disney World. From some of your favorites to a few you may not remember, we'll discuss some lost attractions, shows, shops, restaurants, and entertainment on this Wayback Machine segment. I'll then have the answer and winner of last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week and pose a new question for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Be sure and stay for the announcements, including information about our next WDW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World and other special events, as well as your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. there is a renewed sense of nostalgia at the Disney parks and goes back to Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary to Epcot's 30th anniversary this year and obviously before that with Epcot's 25th I'm even thinking about things like the piece of history pins that Disney used to put out to even more recently with Return of the Orange Bird and the original Tiki Room and, and so much more that harkens back to those original days of Walt Disney World and so this week I thought we would take a look back to where and when it all began. And we'll set the Wayback Machine to day one, to October 1st, 1971, and take a look back at some of those extinct original attractions that we wish were still in Walt Disney World. And they can be everything from rides to shows to shops to restaurants to entertainment and everything in between. And joining me this week is fellow adventurer and traveler and Walt Disney World enthusiast and history buff and he is of course ryan wilson from the main street gazette hey it's great to be back 
Look, man, it's, it's great to have you back again. And, and we talk about this. Our wives commiserate about this all the time, about how <laughs> as we walk through the Disney parks, we sort of geek out together. Say, oh, remember when this was here? And do you remember the Diamond Horseshoe? And you have to, you still have to get your ticket here and sort of. And they say, hey, you know, you have us and kids to take pictures of as well, too. Uh, but I think there is, like I said at the beginning, such a renewed sense of nostalgia for people like us that were there very early on. Look, I was... I was in Walt Disney World in November of 71. You know, my parents were big Disney fans. So when the park opened, you know, three weeks after, there I was with my bad hair and worse shoes <laughs> sitting on Main Street, you know, not long after the gates had opened for the first time. And even for newer visitors, Ryan, who maybe didn't experience the Orange Bird or the original Tiki Room or Horizons or remembered what Adventureland or Tomorrowland looked like on opening day, there is such a sense of nostalgia in the parks, on the blogs, from the, the the enthusiasts themselves, even in things like the merchandise. And look, the food, the citrus swirl is back. Yay, citrus swirl. <laughs> uh, no, you're absolutely right. I think you were totally right in that opening where, you know, going back to Epcot's 25th anniversary, it almost seems like that was the, the turning point, the linchpin, where all these this outpouring of, do you remember when this opened? And do you remember when this was here? And you're, you're right. We've, we've gone by places and looked like, was well, that structure there on opening day? And we, and being the, the people who our wives think we are, we have the photos that go, no, you know what? That was there. Oh, no, that wasn't there. And, but it's all these layers of from the food to the merchandise. And you're right. It's everything. And it's just – and it's finally – and I think Disney is finally starting to recognize that and coming back around and honoring these pieces of their past. Yeah, and we've talked about things like the Walt Disney World that never was. Those things that were supposed to be here and never came there. And we've looked at some attractions from a historical perspective. But I really want to take a top-down view from day one and look back at those things that aren't there. Because oftentimes, like when I'm giving tours, especially on places like Main Street, I spend a lot of time and I ask people to use their imagination and think back in their mind's eye and try and paint a picture of how different the park was on opening day what that view down avenue of the planets which it wasn't called then but that view into tomorrowland how different that looked back then or standing in the middle of adventureland and knowing that a lot of that wasn't actually there so i thought it'd be fun for us to talk about some of those things and obviously we'll go land by land of those things that were there on opening day that aren't there now that maybe that sense of nostalgia and that and that sense of history makes us wish that they were back for one reason or another, you know, whether it's a one-time thing or we say, Hey, boy, I wish they would open up and I'm, I'm showing my hand. <laughs> boy, man, a diamond horseshoe. What was a great place. In, in I, I knew you were going diamond horseshoe. <laughs> I, yeah. And I'm sure there's a few no surprises on my side. Because I too. thought about main street USA and I thought about going with my dad and my dad loved look, you know, and, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of the game, but the diamond horseshoe you used to have to get your ticket on main street. And that's what my dad had to do before we hit attractions and at first i'm like oh come on dad there's like haunted mansion pirates and, you know now i get it and now i'm like oh man i wish i could go back with my dad and and get one of those tickets again but let's let's start there let's start on main street usa uh on october 1st 1971 because it did look like obviously architecturally attraction wise it was the same, you know, the, the railroad was there and the, the facades were there, but it, it did change a little bit in terms of the stores and the entertainment, even some of the food that was there. So what are the, some of the things for you, uh, because I know I have a couple of favorites, believe it or not, that are not about food, 
that are things on Main Street that from opening day. It's got to be an opening. Can't be 1973 opening the, day that you wish were still there. Oh, 1973. So I can't go Walt Disney Story. You can't go Walt Disney Story, but I'll see your Walt Disney Story and raise you a Hoot Gibson. Ooh, Hoot Gibson. <laughs> I'll raise you Swan Boats. Um, no, but getting back to it, I, I think when I think of my early years in Main Street, on Main Street and this was after the opening, but it was still there on opening day. I go. I have to go House of Magic. Yeah, man. This was a place where, and this was another like like you with your dad. This was me and my dad. You know, he would take me in, you know, and, and I could buy a cheap a cheap magic trick, and I'd walk around that thing for weeks mastering it, and I'd watch the guy and just in such awe of when they were performing tricks and showing everyone the tricks, and th- the place just had this eerie feel to it, and it was like that, you know, dark side mysterious thing that I just loved and. This was a place that was Main Street to me. Well, it was and it wasn't. And what I mean by that is this. And this is one of the things I try and articulate on the tours, especially with people who, whose first visit to Walt's World wasn't until the 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, is that very early on, as you walk down Main Street USA, today it very much is dominated on the left-hand side, certainly by the Emporium, and on the right-hand side by just a few different stores but in 1971 those facades of which there are you know 28 30 or so often housed different stores inside and many of which like the house of magic didn't feel as though you were in walt disney world and what i mean by that is like you the house of magic is where on the way out my dad said okay this is where you can go and pick something out and i'll never forget my you know some of the little magic tricks and monster masks i had Mm -hmm. on the wall um, you know, and it was not a Disney branded piece of merchandise and many of the other shops and stores very much had that same feel to it. So, you know, yes, there were things like the Emporium and, and there was the, um, the, the hat shot at hat shop and some of the other, um, Disney branded merchandise shops, but other things like the greenhouse flower shop where you could go down center street back when West center street was there mm-hmm. and purchase potted plants and flowers not that i imagine myself walking around with a big <laughs> potted plant from mom down you know through walt disney world but there was a clock shop and a china shop and the wonderland of wax you know it, it was a candle store that wasn't disney candles it was just you know and but they were appropriate to storytelling wise they were appropriate to that turn of the century victorian era town these are the kind of stores that you felt would have existed not just in 1971, but in you know 1871 as well. Absolutely, and and many of them were sponsored by you know outside companies, and you even had things like a tobacconist, which you wouldn't see anywhere on Walt Disney World now. But at the time, it fit with 1971. It fit with that turn of the century feel, and it, all these little places made you know basically built their own community inside of Main Street. Yeah, and the tobacco store is the one that normally gets the most raised eyebrows because as you walk down Main Street, and, and as we record this, he's uh, he's currently under refurbishment, but on the right-hand side <laughs> on the second block is a cigar store Indian who has a green cape. He has a twin in, in another land in front... It, I just gave it away. In frontier land. <laughs> appropriate to the time because, again, thinking about the turn of the century, many times you needed to show people what was being sold inside, not in words, right. but in a physical representation. And although the, the Cigar Store Indian is now on the wrong side of the street, originally, as you walk down Main Street facing the castle, he was 
on the left-hand side of the street where the uh, Hall of Champions is now. So right before what was at the time the refreshment corner, which is now Casey's, mm-hmm. was a tobacconist. And one of my favorite souvenirs, which I'm looking at right now, it's on my shelf, of which I have two, is I have a single cigar box and I have a large flat cigar box that would hold maybe eight to 12 cigars with a branded, you know, like a hot iron brand of right. the old Walt Disney World logo on it. And in the front, it actually says WD, and I don't get this part, Fancy Tales. And I don't know why it says Fancy <laughs> Tales, but that's what, and that's the kind of souvenir you would bring home from Main Street, something so different, something so appropriate to that time that, again, like you said, obviously for, for many reasons, you would never see that again. And we'll talk about another one like that when we get to another land in the Magic Kingdom as well. Yeah, it really was. It's really interesting. And you know, and to go along with that, you know, they had every resort and many of the restaurants had their own matchboxes and match um, matchbooks. And, um, but it did. It made Main Street just feel so alive. And uh, especially what you have, considering a lot of the attractions are still the same. Like you had the Main Street vehicles like the Fire Engine and Omnibus, which still run. Right. And the things so like you, I miss the House of Magic. I, I don't miss the tobacconist. I don't wish they would bring it back, obviously, <laughs> but I do miss the House of Magic. I, I do miss some of those quaint stores behind the facades because right. it gave you reason to go in and out and to wander out. Certainly, I miss West Center Street. I miss the Harmony Barbershop being there when they sold mm-hmm. the, the mustache cups. But what I really miss because, uh, again, of when I grew up and the, and the, the memories that I have, because I think for speaking for myself personally, the reason why I love Walt Disney World now is not because of Dumbo and the castle. And it's because of the memories I shared with my parents. So right. going into the Penny Arcade and spending time there or going into the cinema when it actually showed shows, but going into the Penny Arcade, which was right behind where the House of Magic and the Tobacconist were uh, in in the back of what is now Casey's and the Hall of Champions there, that I remembered not only playing, at the time, modern pinball games, but those (laughs) old mutoscopes and stereoscopes were fascinating to me because at that time, that was the level of entertainment that people had in the turn of the century. Yeah, and, and even in 71, it was something kind of lost it was a lost art form, and so people. Were, and this was a great way to look back. And you, you still have a few of them hiding out and upstairs in uh, the Main Street Station and over at the Boardwalk. But it was just you know a room after room of these old games, some new games, uh, and it it was it was a perfect turn of the century pl- place to play. So I would bring back, and I think we would get many other uh, votes to bring back the House of Magic. I think it would be a tough call to bring back the GAF Camera Center which now occupies where the confectionery is. Now, kids mm-hmm. at home, I want you to try and wrap your heads around this just for a second. I want to put this all <laughs> in context for you. Because on October 1st, 1971, and for many years thereafter, believe it or not, you could walk through the Magic Kingdom and take pictures with your little Instamatic and your little cube flashbulb, bring your pictures, bring your film, if you remember what that is, bring your film to the GF Camera Center, and in true Disney magic, at the end of the day, Ryan, you'd actually be able to see your pictures that same day. You didn't have to send them away. You didn't have to bring them to the photo mat. You could get your pictures developed right there on Main Street. We yeah, mock I, it now. It was awesome back then. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. You couldn't, it was, you know, what the, the joy you get from looking at a digital photo three seconds after you take it, we had to wait all day for. Yeah. And then I remember eventually when 
they started renting video cameras. And I remem- remember it because they were like the shoulder size TV cameras t- of today, but they had the big battery packs. So my dad right. carried the camera and the little guy <laughs> to carry the shoulder battery pack trailing behind him. But uh, boy, I'd love to be able to find those old movies, which are buried in storage somewhere. Like I say, we have I have rolls and rolls and rolls of undeveloped film and who knows where they've gone. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement. We would bring back the House of Magic. Um, I think we would maybe bring back the Penny Arcade. And I will say, too, not just for Main Street, but other areas of the Magic Kingdom, something that is extinct that I would bring back is the entertainment. Because there was mm-hmm. a lot more live entertainment, which unfortunately has gone on, uh, gone away over the years. So, yes, we still have the marching band, and certainly you have the Dapper Dans. But back on Main Street in 71, you had... Uh, this crazy sort of Keystone Cop Quartet. You had a Town Square band. You had the Crystal Palace Trio. You had Disney characters. You had, like today, the Ragtime Pianist over at the uh, at Casey's Corner. There was a fire department band. There was a Pearly band that went from Main Street into Fantasyland, sort of from the, uh, the Mary Poppins era. And there was a lot more live entertainment throughout the Magic Kingdom. And that is certainly one of the things I would love to bring back because I think that adds such another... Wonder, listen, Tiana Showboat Jubilee could come back tomorrow and I would be psyched. I know it wasn't 1971, <laughs> but it's just the, the live music that I enjoy so much. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that also has been lost with that entertainment aspect is everything is so scheduled now. And I know back then Disney had their internal schedule, but it was so much easier to find a character wandering in the park. And this entertainment it just seemed to happen spontaneously, whether it was the you know Firehouse Department Band or the uh, the Crystal Palace Trio. All these different things just seemed like they were happening spontaneously, and you just got caught up in it. And I think that's that's something that that would I would yeah bring it back in a heartbeat. Yeah. And so as we move our way clockwise through the Magic Kingdom towards Adventureland, for me, one of my favorite locations, odd as this may sound, in the Magic Kingdom is that transition point as you go from the Magic Kingdom in towards Adventureland. As that ragtime music that plays in the background is subtly overtaken by those jungle beats coming from Adventureland. And one thing that was their opening day that, oddly enough, I wish was back, and it's a, it's a very subtle change that most guests might not realize, is that transition point. Is that portal between Main Street and Adventureland? Because originally, that bridge was an arced bridge. You had to sort of walk, mm-hmm. walk up and over that bridge. And what that did was... It helped aid in that transition between Main Street and Adventureland story-wise because as you looked to your left and all of a sudden the Crystal Palace is starting to lose that delicate Victorian charm and it's sort of getting a little bit overgrown. And as you look forward, you see the spears and the skulls. You hear this tribal sort of drum music, but you can't see into Adventureland. You can't see what is beyond the apex of that bridge. That adds such an element of mystery to it. All you see is this bridge and the green of the tree houses and all the, the overgrown foliage, which was not very overgrown in 71, but go with me here. It added such, I think, an, another dimension and a sense of adventure to Adventureland that a small thing like that bridge, which I understand has to go away for ADA reasons and strollers and wheelchairs, I, I totally get it. But from a storytelling and from a, a visual point of view, it, it was important. You're absolutely right. And I've, and I've said for years now, I think in the Magic Kingdom, 
I know a lot of people like talk about transition point between Liberty Square and Frontier or Liberty Square and Fantasyland and the the piece of the Columbia Harbor House that goes over the overpass there. But to me, the Crystal Palace is one of those just is the perfect transition piece from Main Street to Adventureland and any, of any corner in the park. You get that old Victorian, you feel that adventure, that sense of adventure with it. It feels like something that would belong in you know India or Africa, it, you know, with colonial with colonization and all these things and. You're right. When you come over that bridge, you see trees, maybe a rooftop or two, but you really have no idea what you're walking into with Adventureland. And that and that's what it was meant to be. You know, Walt Disney with Disneyland certainly carrying over into Walt Disney World wanted to give you the sense that you had left the the confines of the continental United States and gone somewhere nondescript but incredibly exotic. And look, if we would have done this segment a year ago, we would have said, oh, my God, bring back the original Tiki Room, bring back the Orange Bird, and bring <laughs> back the Citrus Swirl. But our, our uh, prayers have been answered because they're all back. So, Right. Our, our prayers to the Tiki Gods have been answered, and the Sunshine Room has been uh, – the Sunshine Tree Pavilion has been, has been restored. But what I tell you, what I, I would like to see back uh, are two things, one that I remember, one that I honestly do not remember. And the thing that I do remember, it goes back to the live entertainment – was the Adventureland Steel Drum Band. Um, mm-hmm. It was eventually uh, JP and the Silver Stars. They played, if you can sort of imagine if you're listening, as you're walking, um, well, later on they played sort of by Caribbean Plaza, but originally they played in Adventureland proper because obviously there was no uh, magic carpets of Aladdin there. But what I never saw, because it closed within just a couple of months of park opening, and I just I may have been there but have no recollection of it, was... Uh, Colonel Haythe's Safari Club Arcade. And there was a small arcade located by some of the shops and stores near where, um, past where the Adventureland veranda would have been, but by Tropic Toppers and Oriental Imports around there, near where the, the breezeway is to Frontierland, there was a small arcade that had a lot of those old-style shooting games where you'd have this um, sort of projected image and you'd have this rifle that was on a, a, a swivel and you could shoot at uh, animals. And it sort of made you feel as though you were on sort of an exotic safari hunter. But it was actually, it holds a distinction of being the first attraction to ever close in, in the Magic Kingdom. It's something that I've never seen. I've something I've never even seen a picture of. I know it existed for a few months. So I'd like it to come back just so I could say I experienced it. Yeah, it is. It's one of those pieces that was before my time. And I've seen like mock-ups and the you know, very good descriptions, but I've never actually seen a picture of it. Um, it was basically, it was like, yeah, it was an Adventureland version of the Penny Arcade, but very, very much smaller. Um, you know, and, and the one thing, you know, people don't realize is that opening day of uh, Adventureland, Adventureland stopped at the Tropical Serenade at the Sunshine Tree Pavilion. There was no Caribbean Plaza. There was no Pirates of the Caribbean. That was it. And you had to catch a breezeway over to Frontierland right there. Right. So, and next time you're in the Magic Kingdom, or if you're listening to this in the Magic Kingdom, as you're walking past the Jungle Cruise on the left-hand side, the Enchanted Tiki Room on the right, look down. We always tell people to look up, look Mm -hmm. down, and you'll see the demarcation point where Adventureland came to an end. Because obviously we all know the story. There was no Pirates of the Caribbean. Adventureland ended right there. Uh, There was no Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't understand this, Ryan, that they thought people in Florida wouldn't care about the Caribbean because we're so close to the Caribbean whatever, 
But I don't know. I grew. I can say I grew up in Florida, and I couldn't get enough of pirates, so yeah. I don't understand it either. And listen, while I, I, we all lament the loss uh, of what Thunder Mesa and Western yes. River Expedition would have been when people, when guests complained, and Card Walker had to say, "All right, look, forget Thunder Mesa. Go find me a place to put in a Pirates of the Caribbean." It all worked out well, except for except for that big loss that we would have had in Frontierland. But yeah, take a look down. And you'll see the outskirts of what was um, the end of where Caribbean Plaza began. Absolutely, yeah. And so really we're left with a couple of uh, dining venues and a couple of shops from opening day that are no longer with us. But I'm, but I'm with you on, I think, the one piece I would bring back is the steel band. Yeah. And again, it, again it's that sense of having you know, live music everywhere. And, and, sometimes, and for me, it's always sort of the, it's the surprise. You know, I don't. I'm not a person that looks at the time guys. Oh, you know, uh, the Banjo Brothers and Bob are coming out in 15 minutes. Right. It, it's one of those surprise things that when they come, it, it's neat to experience, and I think helps to tell. Each of them was appropriate to the location, so they all help tell the story of it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and it was. I think it is that, and I still feel that way. I, I, I like the surprise of something, and when I see a large crowd massing, I, I'm like, oh, somebody's somebody's looked at the time guy. They, they know there's something happening now, and I, I miss that that spontaneity of it yeah so as we round the corner or pass through the breezeway into Frontierland, um there's not a lot to say t- to the to a certain degree that we wish would come back from 1971 because a lot of it is still there those original attractions the shooting gallery the well okay i take that back the explorer canoes <laughs> um you know the uh the railroad station obviously wasn't there we were talking about this earlier right. um the Country Bear Jamboree, sponsored by Pepsi Cola and Frito Lay, which we just—that's the worst. I'm sorry, that's the worst Henry impression ever. Um, but, but I got to bring it back to food. What I do miss is the mile-long bar, mm-hmm. which yeah, occupies that 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 left-hand most section of where Pecos Bill's Tall Tale Inn and Cafe currently sits. Right where you had Biff and Buff and Max who would talk to you while you grabbed a snack and warn you when the next show was letting out and there was a lot of fun i tell you one thing that i would like to go back and see and this is this is just because it's a personal favorite of mine the frontierland shooting gallery at that point was still using a little metal pellet gun <laughs> and it wasn't using the light sensors and i would just like to bring that back for one day so i can say i've done it what could possibly go wrong yeah i, I wouldn't put anyone's eye out i swear You're shoot your eye out kid <laughs> um what i do miss though is Believe it or not, uh, it's a shop, and it's still there, but it's what they sold in that shop, because originally, the Frontier Trading Post, which is located right next to the Shooting Arcade, um, which is run by Texas John Slaughter, sort of giving you a sense of where you are geographically and Mm time-wise, originally when it opened, Ryan, it sold authentic Western gear, authentic Western wear, so you could buy cowboy hats and cowboy boots. It also sold a lot of, obviously, reproduction Native American merchandise. So from Indian headdresses to moccasins to one of my favorite souvenirs, which again, you'll never find for a variety of reasons, is an Indian, a Native American peace pipe. With It, it has the feathers, it's got the Walters World brand on it. Certainly never be sold again, but at the time, that's the kind of merchandise that was sold there. So again, unique to where you were shopping in Walt Disney World on, on opening day, so was the merchandise specific to those locations. Right, and we should mention that this was where the other cigar Indian lived, um, out there on Frontierland. Um, but the other thing we're talking about, you know, go back to entertainment. There was a bluegrass band and a mariachi band in Frontierland. Right. 
And, you know, some people say, well, wait, bluegrass doesn't necessarily fit there, but I think it was probably the, cl- <laughs> it was probably, it was let's cl- say, where can we shoehorn it in and, and, uh, and put it in? But again, you wouldn't necessarily know, you know, what you were getting when you went in there. You know, now we have the banjo brothers and Bob, who, who I love. They come out with the banjos and the tubas and, and it's great entertainment. Uh, it wasn't their opening day, but we've talked in the past about that, that uh, cowboy gunfight that used to take place right. in the, in over by where the originally the the train station was, but then moved over to where the Country Bear Jamboree was, and on the rooftops over there mm-hmm. for a number of years. But that live entertainment um, that was that you never sort of never really kind of saw coming, really I think added to the story. So and certainly as long as we mentioned it, bring back the Davy Crockett Explorer canoes. Here, here, and I'd be <laughs> remiss if I didn't mention you know the Frontierland train station was just this little red you know clapboard building. And when Splash Mountain came in, they had to redo it and build it up on the second floor. But that station was so quaint and it felt fit so well into a little western town that I, I do miss that as well. Yeah. And, and look, you know, we talked about the Country Bear Jamboree just a few weeks ago. And thinking back to remember how few attractions there really were. This was one of the big ones. I mean, this was an e-ticket attraction uh, back when, when you, met, you know, we were talking about how when you had to buy your ticket book for just a couple of dollars. You know, your ticket book was like three seventy-five. I think it was uh, opening day. Um, that was one of the that was one of the big ride. That was one of the big attractions in Walt Disney World. Yeah, it was it was huge, and I mean, you know, and well deserved, especially for you know, given the time. But even today, it's still, we we talked about it. It's still one of those must do kind of things for both of us. So moving our way down into Liberty Square. Um, Again, the attractions that were there for the most part, other than the Diamond Horseshoe, what it was at the time was a a real live sort of uh, traveling vaudevillian medicine show with with dancers. But you would make your reservations on Main Street. Mm -hmm. That's really what I miss. But again, because the attractions are there, like Hall of Presidents and the Riverboat and the Mansion, uh, the Keelboats weren't. But it's the shops. And I, I love taking people through and around ye old Christmas shop. Because right. for me, that is one of the things that I do remember and I wish would come back because that w- single shop was at one point divided into three. It was Johnny Tremaine's Silversmith. It was the Old World Antique Shop. And here's my holy grail of collectibles, Ryan P. Wilson <laughs> from Main Street Gazette, was Madame- Mademoiselle Lafayette's Parfumerie. Because each Ooh, of la, these la. shops... <laughs> Each of these shops were very unique. The silversmith sold colonial era reproductions of Mm -hmm. silver and pewter items. That antique store was a real antique store. You could go in and not only buy vintage jewelry, but you could buy, because again, with your potted plant for your mom, you want to bring her home a $10,000 armoire or dining room set. But there was an imaginary that would go through and the inventory was always changing. It wasn't there as a, a static uh, sort of a, an attraction, you could go in a, a month later and the inventory would be different. And I know because my parents were uh, had an antique business. So we went there a lot. They were always very curious about what was going to be in the old world antique shop. Um, and I think that was almost more of an attraction than it was a shop. I, I agree. Cause there was so much to see in there. And it was right. It was always something different every time you went in. You know, And they had other shops like the tri-cornered hat shop. Um, but the the perfumery was was probably where uh, my mother spent the majority of her time. It was either there 
or the potpourri shop in the UK pavilion in Epcot. Um, right. The thing was, that was cool about the perfumery was that you could get off the shelf perfumes like, you know, Gucci and Chanel or whatever it is. But the thing that was unique, and this is my holy grail. So if anybody has one, I would I, I would love to see it or OK, have it was that they had a, a row behind one of the counters of different scents. So if your mom wanted to go in and get her own little custom scent made up of jasmine and lilac and bacon, she could go do it because everything's better with bacon. She could Absolutely. do it and they would record her formula in a book. Mm-hmm. They would handwrite this formula in a book. So if you wanted to be son of the millennium and go back a couple of years later and get her her custom perfume, they would look it up. Right. They would redo it and would put it in a custom bottle. And that's what I want. I want one of those custom Madame Lafayette's perfumery bottles. I know. They're, they're great. And they are. It's one of those things. You know, it's such a unique experience that that you miss out on today. There's not this. There's not a whole lot of, you know, there's a lot of build-your-own toys, but there's not a lot of build-your-own uh, type things for adults, souvenirs for adults. If I'm bringing one thing back from, from uh, Liberty Square, though, it's, and this is my uh, holy grail, it's the puzzle boxes from the Haunted Mansion. Oh, dude, I have one right there. Look, I'm pointing to my shelf. Oh, look, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not going to be there next time I see you. Uh, but those, the, that was just, it's one of those pieces I see every so often, and it's just, it's extraordinary. And you'd have to slide the panels in a certain order to open it up. And if you lost your instructions, you basically had a paperweight. Um, but <laughs> that would be the piece that I would bring back from Liberty Square. Now, I am not a very tall man, Ryan Wilson, but I keep this on my top shelf and I'm looking at it from here because my son is fascinated by this box and he so wants to get his little six-year-old <laughs> hands on there. And, you know, the um, the sticker on the top is just starting to sort of, uh, you know, get a little doggy on the corners and maybe though the it would not move as smoothly as it did 40 plus years ago. So that's going to stay right where it is, out of his reach and mine as well. You know what? It's a, it's a good call that you're keeping it out of reach, but at least he has impeccable taste. <laughs> That's right, because we are we. I raise my kids right. So. That's right. That's it. But if we move over to Fantasyland, I think there's actually a. This is one of the lands, especially now with the opening of this expansion, this doubling of Fantasyland. This is one of the lands that really has changed, and we. I think we've lost a lot from opening day in attractions, in shops in food, in entertainment, in sort of all four corners of the square in Fantasyland, I think there's things that we've lost and would love to bring back. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the, we still have the tournament tents. There's still a little bit you know, of a cohesive theme, but the, the landscape and the visuals and the attractions has totally changed. Yeah, and let's sort of take it bit by bit, and let, let's start yeah. with the things that most people think about when they think about going through Fantasyland, which are the attractions. Right. right, so we still have some of the hallmark attractions. You've got the carousel, you've got Small World and Peter Pan's flight, uh, but almost everything else has changed or been lost from day one. The Mad Tea Party is still there, but think back, 1971, the defining difference between that tea party and this tea party was that it had no roof. So right. I was, don't it, miss that because the heat and the humidity and the spinning after lunch. Bad com. It's as bad of a combination That's- as real pellets and rifles in Frontierland. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it, you know, it, for those of you who know Disneyland, it, they don't really have a canopy over theirs, and we didn't either to begin with. And now I think it's much, much, uh, we'll say comfortable experience if spinning can be comfortable in any way uh, with with the roof on it. 
Um, and then you, you have right across the way, which, you know, it wasn't an opening day attraction, but it was there very shortly after in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, right. which we, we both lament on, I think it's semi-daily basis. Right. And everything else that was their opening day is gone, right? Especially now as to when we're recording this. So where Mickey's PhilharMagic is, the Mickey Mouse Review, this audio animatronic e-ticket attraction led by Maestro Mickey with all these little vignettes of classic and some secondary Disney characters singing a wide variety of classic songs. It went to Tokyo. We were hoping we'd get it back when it closed. We did not. Dumbo is gone, right? Dumbo's moved. He's now I, doubled in size. He, like me, in the past 40 years, we've both doubled in size <laughs> and moved over to Storybook Circus. Uh, clearly, for many people, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which was a B ticket. I think they could bump it to a D a ticket at this point from the nostalgia yeah. point alone. A lot of people, that's their big loss. That's the thing that they would bring back. Yes, and, and, and then you know, right around the corner, we've just recently lost Snow White's Adventures, which is what it was known in 71, and now Snow White's Scary Adventures. Uh, down by Peter Pan, the Skyway, we had the station in Fantasyland, and it's you know, gone the way of uh, 20,000 Leagues and Mr. Toad and Horizons and all of those. And I will tell you, believe it or not, the Skyway is one of the attractions that I miss the most. As odd as that sounds, it was slow-moving, slow-loading, a little scary for those who did not like the heights. Certainly was uh, not ADA compliant or accessible. But what it gave you was a literal bird's eye view of Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. Because what made this old style cable car attraction unique was that 90 degree angle. So as you passed over 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and came over by the Grand Prix Raceway... And boy, I feel bad for this poor cast member who had to stand on the tower, yes. literally grab your cage and pull you and swing you around so you could make that turn. But as you look down into the lagoon, and Ryan, it, it never clicked for me because I totally bought into the fact that my 20,000 league submarine went underwater and we were going to Volcania. <laughs> I didn't know it was bubbles next to the window. <laughs> I, I didn't connect that as I looked down. Wait a minute. Those, those subs aren't actually going underwater. But it was... Uh, it gave and look. I think we would all love to sort of be able to fly over Fantasyland right now, especially in this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the Skyway and Twenty Thousand Leagues, because of that um, that belief that I had as I climbed into that submarine and they closed that hatch above you and you right. looked out into your, it was a group attraction, but it was so personal and singular to you because you put your head in that porthole and it was just you. And Captain Nemo, that's a really bad James Mason. And even that was, really bad. Pete that was not a bad James Mason. <laughs> but no, it was really sorry. Pete Renaday, so it doesn't even matter. But he was doing good James Mason. <laughs> but man, I bought into it. And it was a long attraction. And you went past the mermaids and the squid and the volcano. And it got dark through the mountain. It was awesome. That, that for me, maybe, maybe the one that I would bring back even over. I know, it, I know it's blasphemous. But I may <laughs> even say to bring back 20,000 leagues over Mr. Toad. Um, you know, it's funny. I asked, I asked my wife, but when I was getting ready to do this, I was like, what would you bring back? And she came to this much, much later than, than we did. Uh, but for her, it was the Skyway. And I think, you know, part of that is that bird's eye view. Think, and you, you hit it on the head when you said you didn't realize that the subs weren't going underwater, even from that vantage point. You had the show buildings for everything. You saw the rooftops of Fantasyland. You saw the big warehouses. And it didn't matter. You saw flying elephants. You saw spinning teacups. 
you saw submarine, you know, the Nautilus going un- going into the cave. It was priceless. But if I'm bringing one back, it's yeah, I'm right with you. It's twenty thousand leagues. Um, you know, and as I get older, I appreciate it more and more, and I lament it more and more. Um, but it was it was very personal, and it had so many really you know great little gags in it, and it had so much drama to it. And you, you did you felt like you were in the clutches of a giant squid, and so help you, Nemo was going to have to get you out of it. Yeah, and and because of how unique those ride vehicles were, yeah. they were massive. I mean, they were massive ride vehicles. Um, and that experience began as you were entering the queue and, and the way the cast members were dressed with their sort of little sailor hats and their blue uniforms and things like that. Uh, I, I truly, truly love it. Looking up at my shelf, I see no less than one, two, three, 20,000 leagues under the sea sub miniatures. Of course, there's also two Mr. Toad cars up <laughs> there as well, too. Um, but and our Mr. Toad, and our Mr. Toad was different. You know, we had two tracks. There were different places that you got to go. It wasn't like what Disneyland has, um, and it was unique. But I, yeah, my heart. And like I said, the more I get older, you know, I've got to talk to some people who put that attraction together. And it's, you, know, you look at the queue and all the ironwork and the steelwork and the Volcania. It is just extraordinary. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite and most prized collectibles, and this is actually going to not sound right, depending considering where it is right now. <laughs> is I have a porthole from a 20,000 League submarine. I have a piece of Walt oh. Disney World theme park ephemera. And so I got it, um, and I said, oh, this is awesome. I'm, I'm going to hang it on my wall. I'm going to make a table out of it. I'm going to make this whole 20,000. And it's still sitting in my garage somewhere um, because I, I am not Tim the Toolman Taylor, and I don't know what to do <laughs> with it. But for me, it's that sense of owning a piece yeah. of extinct history. And look, we talk about our sense of nostalgia, we as Walt Disney World guests and enthusiasts and fans and bloggers and podcast, but the Imagineers, as we all are, are well know, are nostalgics too. That's why right. the Orange Bird is back. That's why some of these things have returned. That's why this merchandise, this retro merchandise has returned. Guys like Jason Grant and Casey mm-hmm. Jones and, and all these guys from Imagineering and the design group, from the Vinylmations to the shirts to the Orange Bird himself came back as a result of them. Even in places like Winnie the Pooh, we all know about the tributes to Mr. Toad. Inside the Winnie the Pooh treehouse, there is that tribute to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which I love bringing people in to go and see, although I don't spend a lot of time inside the treehouse, so parents are going, hey, what's the creepy (laughs) old guy doing in the treehouse with my kids? So I don't spend a lot of time there, but it's a neat thing to see because these guys are fans first, too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. People like Richard Terpstra and uh, Jason Grant, especially, and there's so many. Alex Wright. um, But yeah, I can remember the first time I took a picture of the little, you know, not Nautilus put in the way poo tree, and it was early in the morning, so there were no kids around, and I had to climb under into the tree, and I and my father standing there going, I don't know this man, I don't know this man, I don't know this man. And I'm like, I get a lot you of weird looks still- in the parks, man. I get a lot of weird looks as I'm talking to myself recording or carrying the box around doing a live broadcast. <laughs> but when I'm standing there with four other adults showing them a, 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 yeah. a very nondescript carving out of the wood, I get funny looks. But um, moving over, because, again, there's a lot of things that were there opening day that are not there now. Let's go over to the stores and the shops because all of them have changed. Tinkerbell's I, toy shop became Tinkerbell's treasures. It's gone through a number of different machinations. It's still sort of castle couture, but it was for years Tinkerbell's toy shop. But beyond that, Ryan, 
All of the shops have gone through changes. So where, for example, Sir Mickey's is, and I love Sir Mickey's, I love the story that it tells in there of Brave Little Taylor and Mickey and the Beanstalk, but that was at one point an Aristocats shop, and mm-hmm. it was also Merlin's Magic Shop. So there was a second magic shop in Walt Disney World, and this one, if you're looking at Sir Mickey's, Merlin's was on the side closest to where the carousel is, uh, and on the right-hand side would have been the Aristocats shop. And this is where we go back to having those, you know, these great Imagineers who really respect and understand the history. Where Merlin's Magic Shop is now, there's a window when you're playing Sorcerers of Magic Kingdom that has, you know, Merlin's Workshop in there. And so you, and so they've kind of brought, you know, brought a piece of that back. But you did, you know, you had the Castle Camera Shop and the Mad Hatter, and all these stores have gone through totally different incarnations. And one of the ones that, uh, again, look. 1970, it was a different time, right? It was a different time, our interests, the things that we wanted to see, the things we wanted to do, the things we wanted to bring home, I think to a certain degree were different. And so if you're looking at Peter Pan's flight as you're walking towards, as we record this because this landscape is changing, as you're walking towards Liberty Square and on the right-hand side would have been the Skyway. And look, I love that Skyway area. I love the grotto. There's something about the water and the waterfalls and that that flowing water. I think it should have been made into a Swiss chocolate shop, not a restroom, but that's okay. <laughs> but where, by where the restrooms are on the Peter Pan's flight side, where the extended queue currently is, that at one point was an art shop. It was called the Fantasyland Art Festival. They eventually moved it out by where uh, Enchanted Grove was. But it was a place that you could buy pieces of art. And I don't mean sketches by Disney artists necessarily or uh, prints of Disney cells. I mean, art. You could go there, so you could go buy your potted plant. You could buy your silver <laughs> and your bacon perfume and your antiques, and you could buy a real piece of art in this art festival. And there were artists there drawing and painting and 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 uh, mm-hmm. doing silhouettes right there for you as well. Yes, it was. It was. It was art in progress. You could see people painting things, and you come back a couple days later, they'd still be working on the same piece of art, uh, and you it. It had this live feel to it. You, you could see the art, and then there was finished products you could buy, and uh, it was it was one of those other things. Yet you could furnish your whole house just by making a trip through the Magic Kingdom. There you go. And <laughs> look, we would be remiss if we did not mention at least one of the dining locations that we could bring back. Uh, King Stephen's Banquet Hall is there. It's Cinderella's Royal Table. Certainly, we also like things like the King's Gallery that's inside the castle. But for me. If you're going by Peter Pan's flight, obviously I hang around a lot there because it's one of my favorite attractions. <laughs> Where the Fast Pass location is now with the TikTok croc there, that was known as Welch's Troubadour Tavern. And the reason why I want to bring it back, Ryan P. Wilson, is completely selfish because back <laughs> at the time, they sold a, ver- a variety of juice drinks. They sold grape juice, but it's not what you were drinking, it's what you were drinking it from because your grape juice came in a plastic bunch of grapes. Your orange juice came in an, in an orange. Thank you guys for bringing that back over by the citrus swirl. Your apple juice came in a banana, but you get the point. You had all these yes. little plastic fruits that you drank the juices from, and it's another one of my holy grails of collectibles because we all had them, right? We all, oh, I can't yeah. now, you remember, but nobody saved them. 40 years later, and if you have one, I'm coming over. Most people didn't save those. No, I didn't say that. unless there's one in a storage box somewhere, which is possible. I don't have one, um, but you're right. It was it was a Welch's sponsored uh, eatery, and um, later on you would get the same kind of fruit cup kind of things uh, over at the Enchanted Grove. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of those things where you you know you thought you were 
you know, the the bee's knees to get this this fruit. You're like, haha, I'm having apple juice out of a grape. Right. So so would twenty thousand leagues be the thing that you would bring back? Would it be the Troubadour Tavern? Would it be something else? Would it be the Skyway? Oh no, it's 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 twenty thousand leagues. It, that that has to come back, and and especially if you can bring uh, the Briny Boys, the uh, <laughs> the the band that would that would play there uh, with it. Yeah, I agree, and I, I know that the, the tough thing about this too, Ryan, is so much of this stuff is we we talk about it, we have the maps, we have the books, we've got the souvenir guides, we have our memories, but sometimes it's so hard to find photos of these things. Like I've never really seen inside Merlin's Magic Shop other than in my mind's eye. I don't remember a lot of these things other than what we talk about as, as experiencing. So as we go along, if people have photos of some of these things, I would love for you to share those with us I, or share them with yes. me or I can share them on the blog or on Twitter. You can email me, lou at www.radio.com. I will certainly attribute them to you. would love to see some of those if you have some of these from early or opening day uh, Walt Disney World. So uh, let's move over to Tomorrowland. Okay, because Tomorrowland has always struggled, Ryan Wilson. It's always struggled trying to portray tomorrow, all right? Because right. we struggled with this in 2012. They struggled with it in 1971. So here, Ryan P. Wilson, is your trivia question of the day. Oh. On opening day, October 1st, 1971, that's not the question. On opening day, name me the attractions that were operational in Tomorrowland. I got this. Grand Prix Raceway and the Skyway. I love this. This is why I love you. And you're a good <laughs> hugger. Yeah, man. So think about it. You're walking down from the hub, right? And so Tomorrowland, big land, a lot of entrances in and out of Tomorrowland, right? There's two from the hub, a lot of ways in there. Walking down that main, the widest entrance into any yep. land is right there in Tomorrowland. Opening day, October 1st, 1971. Use your mind's eye and picture me this. You don't have... Any of that metal ornamentation, right? All nope. that uh, decorative elements on the on the top levels is not there. The big archway with the globe that says Tomorrowland, not there. Nope. That rock work, that sort of big Thunder Mountain colorish rock work isn't there. There's two tall, giant, very sort of sterile white spires welcoming you into Tomorrowland. On the right, left hand, had, go ahead. You had water coming out of them. and yeah. well, Originally it didn't. Opening oh, day, you're right. no, you had no you're water. Absolutely right. So there's not right. So you're walking down. I was like, all right. You look to your left. Flight to the moon doesn't open until later that year. Mm-hmm. On the right, America the Beautiful. They open December and November respectively. Right. Yep. The Wedway People Mover doesn't open till '75. Space Mountain doesn't open until technically it's, it starts you know in in December '74, but officially opens yep. in 1975. All these things are there, and as you and as you look down towards the end of Tomorrowland, there is no launching pad, there is no Astro Orbiter slash Star Jets that doesn't come till seventy four. All you see is kind of nothing. So right. you walk into Tomorrowland, it's not very futuristic, and there's not a lot going on there. No, the tomorrow tomorrow looked pretty bleak back in seventy one. Um, you did get you you kind of see the contemporary, but there was no if you had wings. Uh, you know, all these great things that people picture from this, those early years. Opening day, there wasn't a whole lot going on there. There wasn't, right? So you got the two attractions that you mentioned, Grand Prix Raceway, which was not very futuristic. It wasn't no. the cars of the future. It wasn't this future technology. 40 years later, it's still, well, 40 years later, 
more than that, they're still kind of the original Autopia cars from 1955. Yeah. Like yep. seven mile per hour gas guzzling little cars. <laughs> Flight to the moon doesn't open until December. That's not very futuristic because we went to the moon two years earlier. Right. America the Beautiful is sort of a picture postcard vignette tour of America. If not you had very wings, futuristic. Right. If you had wings is a tour of the world. That doesn't come until the, the year after. So you've got the Skyway, this decades-old technology of cable cars. You've got the Grand Prix Raceway. You do have a launching pad, although it's located where Merchant of Venus is now. Right. And so there's not really, there's a couple of shops, but not really a lot else going on. And then, of course, Tomorrowland Terrace, which is Cosmic Rays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, and you had some, some you know, pop bands, rock bands playing in there uh, for live music. But that was pretty much all you had. So if you say, you know, what do you bring back from opening day in 1971 in Tomorrowland? You're like, uh, I'm good. <laughs> see, see, this is where you save yourself from, from, from Fantasyland. You bring back 20,000 leagues. Then you bring back the Skyway in Tomorrowland, and it's a double whammy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it would be interesting to see a, a Skyway-type uh, attraction. And that building is there. The Skyway building is still there yeah. to the right of Tomorrowland. It's, it's a restroom. Uh, now they took off sort of that top took level the, a number of yeah. years ago. But, yeah, so... You can't really say, hey, there's a lot I want to bring back from opening day 71 in Tomorrowland because there wasn't a lot there. You know, again, there was a, the three little stores and that really was about it and a couple of restaurants and the two attractions. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it's like you say, they've, they've struggled for time memoriam to, to define Tomorrowland. You know, by the time you build it, we've already passed it. And where do you go from there? You know, they, they, they had mission to the moon and that got changed to mission to Mars. Uh, you know, but what really changed? Yeah, tomorrow is a little too ambitious sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and things don't really start changing there until, uh, you know, 72, 73, really 74 when you start getting in to uh, Space Mountain coming and then the Wedway people mover. Um, right. Who would have known how cool it would have been if the Explorers Club would have come to where the Tomorrowland Terrace in between Tomorrowland and Main Street is right now? Again, separate topic for uh, another show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, as we sort of made our way through um, the Magic Kingdom, you know, as we're looking back at some of those experiences or attractions or things that we wish were still in Walt Disney World, it's interesting because they're not necessarily all grounded in attractions. I think when we think of extinct, extinct Walt Disney World, some of the things that rise to people's minds are horizons in Epcot, Mr. Toad. 20,000 leagues under the sea, but I'm hoping, and this is part of what it was fun to do about this segment, we think about some of the things that either were secondary attractions or other experiences, maybe not even on a map, maybe not even on a a times guide per se, but things that you might remember, whether it's putting in some, probably even quarters back then, putting in some quarters or pennies (laughs) in the penny arcade, or wandering through, through some of the shops as you went through, or trying to remember where some of these things were as you went in your first couple of years. Yeah, and I think you know it, it, it even extends just a little outside the boundaries of the park. You know, the topiaries that used to populate everywhere. You know, you had Dumbo, you had the giraffes, you had there were just to, you know these bush shrub topiaries everywhere that that you don't see as much now, except for during you know Epcot's Flower and Garden Festival. Um, that's a piece that I really miss, and yeah, and the, and the experiences of you know watching the magic tricks happen in front of your eyes and having two side streets on Main Street. There's just all these little corners that, as we went through this, some of them I hadn't even thought of ahead of time, and they just kind of, you know, come back into your memory as, you're, as you walk through. 
Yeah, I think that's what happens. You know, people say, "Oh, yeah, no, wait, wait a minute. Wasn't there? A, wasn't there Center Street here? Wasn't what the original Harmony Barbershop here? Because I got my right. hair cut there." It's funny what resonates with people, and that's why I want to leave those who are listening with a question, or sort of a two-part question, because I'm a lawyer and I can't ask just one-part questions. I'm a recovering attorney. I take that back. <laughs> what is it that you miss most from opening day in Walt Disney World? And if you didn't see it, what was something that maybe you never saw? that you wish you had? Was it an attraction? Was it some of the entertainment? Was it some of the restaurants we spoke of? Maybe even some of the shops. You know, I think there's something very intriguing about a tobacconist or a magic shop or, or Merlin's Magic Store or the perfume store in the parks that would be very intriguing to people who had never seen it before. What is it that you miss or what is it that you wish you had seen that you never had? Yeah, I could. Yeah, I, I love to see what people people uh, come up with that. For for me, I think uh, it's it's the it is, it's all those little details. You know, like we talked about with the magic shop, um, like we talked about with uh, the shooting arcade, the canoes. You know, all these little little pieces that that just made the experience so much, experience so much more. Uh, there was so much more depth at that. You know, for me it, in those memories, um, some of them probably you know not. Not as great as I remember them. Um, nice. I don't know how much <laughs> drinking out of a grape would uh, <laughs> would would thrill me at this age. Mike Fink, um, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> but uh, but I think it's those little pieces. But if I'm bringing you know if I'm bringing this one thing back, it would definitely be twenty thousand leagues. Great. Well, I want to hear from the listeners too. Please come by, leave your comments in this week's show notes. Visit wdwradio.com. Click on the podcast link. Find this week's episode. And leave your comments there. I'd love to keep this conversation going. I know Ryan and I will both be commenting there as well to hear and sort of help you guys reminisce. And again, if you have pictures, whatever it may be, I'd love for you to share those with us as well, too. I also want you guys yes, please. to go see what Ryan is doing because he's got some great vintage posts and information and maps and photos and everything else over at MainStreetGazette.com. That's MainStGazette.com. I'll link that over in the show notes as well. Ryan, you got to come back. We've got lots more to cover, especially with Epcot's 30th coming up this year. A lot of other ideas for uh, taking some trips on the Wayback Machine, some DSIs, and uh, we'll have to incorporate food in there as well, too. Always. Absolutely. Anytime. It's time for the Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I give you a chance to test your knowledge about Walt Disney World history or trivia, current or former attractions, for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back to last week, review the question and the answer, and randomly select our winner. So last week, as you know, I was all excited about Cars and Cars Land and Disney California Adventure and Buena Vista Street. So I wanted to ask you a question specifically about Cars and Cars Land. And I said that Radiator Springs was replicated in exacting detail by Disney and Pixar over at Disney California Adventure Park. And with nearly 300,000 square feet of rock work, it is the largest domestic rock work they've done in any of the parks and brings an entire mountain range out to Anaheim, California. And the peaks of those mountain ranges, just like in the Pixar film Cars, represents tail fins of automobiles from 1957 through 1962. And the simple question I asked was just to identify what make of car, not even the model, just what make of car was represented in that mountain range. And again, hundreds of you wrote in and all of you got correctly. 
that those ranges from 57 to 62 was the Cadillac mountain range in Ornament Valley. Now, I also asked you a bonus question because my favorite character from Cars is Luigi. And all the cars in Cars and Cars 2 are based on real automobiles. So the King is a Superbird and the Sheriff is a Mercury Club Coupe. Uh, Sally is a Porsche Carrera. And so I asked you for a bonus prize. What kind of car was Luigi based on? And he was actually a 1959 Fiat 500. Again, all of you who answered got that one correct as well. And the prize package this week not only included all of my audio tour downloads, but a special Cars Land prize package. I was able to bring back some things from the media preview of Cars, including a limited edition triptych, like the old AAA triptychs, a map from June 14th, the day that Disney California Adventure Park was closed to the public, but they allowed in uh, some media and guests, also an opening day guide map, and a Luigi's Festival of Flying Tires brochure that has games and puzzles from that opening day. Now, if you got the bonus question right, I also threw in a Disney California Adventure backpack as well. And so this week, I once again randomly selected one entry from all the correct entries. And this week's winner, who also, by the way, got the bonus question, is Jennifer Townsend. So Jennifer, congratulations. Email me your address and I'll get your prize package and your downloads out to you right away. If you didn't win last week, that's okay because here is this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. And so this week, as long as we're going back in time with our sort of way back machine, I thought we would take a look back at one of my favorite classic attractions that actually didn't appear on opening day with the Magic Kingdom, but a day later on October 2nd, 1971. Now the Liberty Square Riverboat is now known as the Liberty Bell, but when the attraction opened, she was known by another name. So tell me, what was the name of the riverboat in Liberty Square that plied the rivers of America? Now, I know the current Liberty Bell is not the boat that was actually used on October 2nd. This is a second one that was built, so I just want the name of the Liberty Square Riverboat when it opened in 1971. And this week's prize includes not only all six of my audio tours on digital download, but a mystery vinylmation as well. You can email your answers to contest at wdwradio.com. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, July 11th to get your answers in. Again, we'll randomly select one winner from all the correct entries for the prize package. So good luck and have fun. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Be sure and come by the website at www.radio.com. There you can leave your comments, talk about some of your favorite extinct attractions in Walt Disney World in this week's show notes. While you're there, be sure and check out our multiple daily blog posts, our discussion forums, new videos being posted every week, and lots more. Also, be sure and tune in every Wednesday night starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live. It's a live video broadcast and chat, usually right from Walt Disney World, where you get a chance to be part of the conversation and the broadcast and talk about this week's Walt Disney World news. You can visit the site over at www.radiolive.com or just click on the live button right on the homepage of www.radio.com. If you can't make it live, I'll post the audio in iTunes, post the video on the blog as well. I also love hearing directly from you, so you can email me at lou at www.radio.com. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-9391. 
And while I love hearing back from you, there's nothing better than a chance for all of us to get together right in Walt Disney World, because really nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So the next WDW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World is going to be this Saturday, June 30th. It's going to be the Sunshine Seasons Food Fair in Epcot Center downstairs in the Land Pavilion. It's going to start at 10.30 a.m., run until about 12.30, 1 o'clock or so. Come on, bring the whole family. Anyone and everyone is welcome. There's food and it's air-conditioned. For more information, you can visit the events page over at www.radio.com or click on the events page on Facebook if you want to RSVP, although not required as well. Speaking of events, don't forget to our WDW Radio inaugural e-ticket event, an evening at the American Adventurers Club. Tickets are on sale now. That is Friday, September 28th, 2012. We're renting out the entire American Adventure Pavilion for a dinner and show unlike anything you've ever seen before. If you never saw the Adventures Club, or if you missed the Adventures Club, this is going to be something really, really special. And it's a great way to kick off an amazing weekend because it's the start of Food and Wine Festival. There's the Tower of Terror race on Saturday. D23 is having their Epcot 30th anniversary on Sunday. And of course, Monday, October 1st, is uh, Epcot Center's 30th anniversary. So it's really a great way to kick off what's going to be a fun, fun weekend. For more information, again, visit the events page over at www.radio.com. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel. They're my official, they're my recommended travel provider because it's who I use. I'm going out to D23's Destination D this summer using Mouse Fan Travel. You can come out as well too. And whether you're coming to Walt Disney World on a Disney Cruise Line vacation or Adventures by Disney, Becky and her team have the best prices, all available discounts, all at no additional cost to you. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com and Visit www.radiocruise.com if you're interested in coming with us November 4th through the 8th with Richard M. Sherman of the Sherman Brothers on the Disney Dream. Really, really excited for that. Also, when you're coming to Walt Disney World, maybe you want something a little bigger. You got the extended family in town? Look into an all-star vacation home at allstarvacationhomes.com. They have their own pools, spas, kitchens, multiple master bedrooms, game rooms, room for the entire family. And if you want to stay right in the heart of Walt Disney World, the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin has not only the incredibly heavenly beds, the luxurious Mandara Spa, but more importantly, 17 world-class restaurants, some of which are my very favorites in the world, like Blue Zoo, Shula's, and Il Molino. Visit them at swananddolphin.com. And if you're missing Disney, you want to get a little bit of Disney magic delivered to you right at home or on your iPhone or iPad, Celebrations Magazine. You can visit them over at celebrationspress.com. You can subscribe, order back issues, and find out how you can get the digital download as well. And as always, my friends, most importantly, you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links on Facebook or Pinterest or Google Plus or in your favorite discussion forums. And please come by, rate and review the show over in iTunes. Very much appreciated as well. And finally, it's time for you to start taking a chance on doing something that you love each and every day. Believe in yourself and just in time for the release of the film. Get out there and be brave. Be positive. Have a great week, everybody. And remember, always keep moving forward. So until next time, see ya. Hey Lou, this is Billy Lada calling from Metuchen, New Jersey. It's been just over a week since we had the WDW Radio Meetup in New York City. 
which was phenomenal. I had a great time there. It was great to actually introduce myself and meet you in person uh, while we were there. I had a great time uh, interacting with all the other people that are usually inside the box. And, uh, it was, the greatest part about it was actually uh, getting to meet these people and realize you know, that there is a much bigger, there's a much bigger Disney family uh, who has this passion and this, this excitement about the parts and about everything that Disney is. Um, other exciting news that's going on is it is currently um, June 18th, and I leave in exactly two months to pack my car up and drive down to Walt Disney World to live there for the next four months. So I'm extremely stoked about that, and hopefully when I'm down there, we could uh, get together and we can get a Dole Whip or a Mickey bar when uh, I'm down there, and hopefully I'll get the chance to do uh, some more Walt Disney World meetups. Hope everything's going well. Take care, Lou, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is uh, Matt and calling from up in New York. I first just wanted to thank you for your uh, your podcast every week. It's definitely a, a pleasure to, to listen in uh, every Monday and, and uh, just hear everything that's going on at Disney World. And uh, I especially love this last week's podcast on the uh, ABC Commissary, which I've been to a few times but never really fully appreciated until your uh, your full review of the place. I'm definitely looking forward to uh, going there again on a future trip. Uh, I also just wanted to uh, let you know that this week I had the opportunity to go and see an advanced screening of uh, Disney Pixar's Brave, which comes out in theaters next Friday, June 22nd. Uh, it was definitely an, an exceptional movie, definitely up to the, uh, the Disney, Disney Pixar standard. And uh, just wanted to let everybody know that it's really a fantastic movie and you should definitely look forward to going and seeing it next week. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about Brave, I have written a, uh, a full review on my Facebook page. If you go to uh, facebook.com slash steamboatproductions, then you can uh, read a full review there. But uh, definitely looking forward to more podcasts in the future, and uh, thank you for all that you do. Take care. Hey, Lou. This is the Thurston family from Huntsville, Alabama. We're actually enjoying a little lunch up here at the Catsura Grill, probably in the place that you like to sit. Great suggestion. It was a wonderful lunch and nice and relaxing day here at Epcot. We've enjoyed all your suggestions. The family was listening to your show as we drove down from Huntsville, and my wife had never heard her show before, and she uh, asked me, she said, does all Blue do? Is that all he does is eat? I said, yes, that's what he talks about a lot. We sure do appreciate your show. Uh, we are avid listeners. And uh, love Disney. Have a magical day. Hi, Lou. I love you, Lou. You've got a friend.